You ever notice how when you see a pile of books in a video game, you'll start seeing that same pile of books everywhere? Like I get that someone might own two copies of Gravity's Rainbow, but five? Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week we're recording live as we talk to our own Jason Schreier about his new book, all about the video game industry. There's some risk, some ruin, and some rebirth, so stick around. I'm Kirk Hamilton. I'm Maddie Myers. And I'm Jason Dreyer, live on live. the internet. Live. <laughs> live. live from the internet. Here we are. <laughs> Our first very triple-click live presented in front of a live uh, virtual audience. <laughs> right. We have done live yeah. shows before, the three of us, but we have never done a live show like this on the internet. And we've never done a live triple-click show. So this is the mm-hmm. first... Hopefully of many. We have not. No, our first, because we started this during the pandemic, so we yeah. never could. It was so Maybe fun. We've someday. done some some live shows in real life. Those will be fun one day. But there are yes. people watching us right now, we must assume anyways, <laughs> on our Twitch channel. Um, but otherwise, this is going to be, I think, a pretty normal episode because each of us is just sitting at home. Totally like, normal. Normal like energy. Do. Don't feel weird at all. Completely 100% normal up. Yes. If you're listening at home, just assume that there is an audience laughing at all of our jokes yes. and cheering every time we say anything. We cool can on. hear yes. it, too. You just have to assume it all in your head. Right. It's like yeah. that, that meme of uh, of what's-his-face. Um, uh, this is going to be good. Anytime someone says it's like that meme of what's-his-face, you're in It's like the guy, uh, what's his name? I, I love the comedian, but I'm forgetting his name. But he's standing mm-hmm. there and he's like, uh, uh, all of my friends are here out of frame, hanging out, having a great time at this party <laughs> for my birthday. Uh, you guys know. I don't know. It was a good story. I think we really let you down on that one. Yeah. Okay. Great story. Um, Kirk, what are we celebrating this week? We're celebrating Max Fun Drive. This is the uh, the beginning of Max Fun Drive 2021. We are a Maximum Fun podcast. We love being a part of Maximum Fun. We just celebrated our first anniversary, which we talked about on the show. And uh, yeah, it's time for Max Fun Drive again, which is a sort of pledge drive for Maximum Fun. So Max Fun is a totally listener-supported network. It's like a whole bunch of different shows, some that you probably listen to, including Triple Click. People sign up to pledge support to the network, and then you pick the shows that you want to support. A bunch of people support Triple Click, which is super awesome, and we appreciate them because it makes it possible for us to make this show. Max Fun Drive It's going from May 3rd to May 14th, and it's sort of like pledge drive. It's just like, I don't know, like an NPR pledge drive or whatever. Uh, There are Mm -hmm. some rewards that you can get. Those are kind of the reasons that you would want to like sign up or or boost your pledge. And we finally have revealed them. And this year, so if you pledge a $10 this year. Or upgrade, or upgrade your current Or if you boost your existing pledge, right? You can can Mm -hmm. boost as well. You get the triple click pin. Last year it was the one that said triple click. I have two of them um, on various Mm -hmm. things. Cute little controller. This year it's super, super cool. It says spill the beans and it has some beans being spilled as a tribute to our beans cast. Jelly beans. They're so cute. It's awesome. Yes, they're colorful and cute, which is nice. I was glad the artist didn't go with like just sort of pinto beans, which would have been fine. I like pinto (laughs) beans, but jelly beans are kind of prettier. There are a lot of interpretations of beans, but jelly beans are fun. It's kind of fun to spill some jelly beans. Like you can pick them up and then you can eat them. And that's... That's the vibe of our beans cast. Call it 10 second rule. That is the vibe of our beans cast. Yeah, you're right. It's a lot more fun to spill jelly beans than it is to spill pinto beans. <laughs> you spill pinto beans, it sucks. You spill jelly beans, it's a fun time. Yeah, it's fun. Though jelly beans are kind of stickier than pinto beans. They get more dirt on them. We're getting sidetracked. Mm. So anyways, <laughs> yes, that is a reference to our beans cast. Those are our monthly bonus episodes, mostly beans cast. We do other things as well. Um, we just did one about the MCU, about Captain Falcon and the- <laughs> The Winter Man 
and yeah. uh, also WandaVision, <laughs> and then just the whole MCU. No, was... Captain Falcon and the Ice Climbers. And right, the Ice Climbers, that's right. That's what we decided on. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of at the, to kick off Max Fun Drive, which was a pretty fun thing to get to do. But we do one of those each month. Anybody who becomes a member at any tier gets one. But if you're at $10, you get the pin. There's like other stuff you get. There's a hat. There's a tea set. There's all this mm-hmm. cool stuff. They always do this. There's going to be events going on for Max Fun Drive. Other shows are doing this like live events and stuff. I mean, this counts Including as us? part of it. Yeah, Including yeah, us. We're right doing now. a live episode. Someone told me that anyways. So anyways, <laughs> you can find out more at MaximumFun.org slash join. And we'll be talking about it more next week. But uh, thanks so much to everyone who's already a member and to people who support us. You rule. We should say also that the bonus content, they changed links um, to coincide with Max Fun Drive. So if you didn't see mm-hmm. the MCU Beanscast, check your email or check your, your the Max Fun website for the new mm-hmm. bonus feed link to get that one. So there is one other thing that's happening in due to Max Fun Drive related to Triple Click. Jason, why don't you tell us what it is? Oh, yeah, this is super fun. Okay, so um, as many people know, I have a new book coming out called Press Reset, Ruiner Recovery in the Video Game Industry. We will talk about that in a little bit, I think. But here's a really exciting announcement. I am doing a giveaway of the book for Triple Click listeners. And so we're giving away 10 copies of the book. All you have to do is sign up. I have a link that I'm going to post in the show notes. And for the live audience, I'll, I'll drop it in Twitch chat at some point. Um, and so if you uh, fill out this form, you enter into the sweepstakes and you can get a copy. All you have to do is fill out the form. So the form is like what? Your social security number? Yeah, your, your social security yeah, yeah, yeah. number, your bank account info, sure. um, your, your favorite burrito restaurant. Naturally. To burritos you just got to upload your driver's license um. and passport if you got it. Um, right, some, and some yeah, photo send all that to Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what's really cool. Um, what we're doing is if you, once you fill out the form, if you then upload um, proof of your Max Fund membership, you get an extra form. So essentially you'll get two raffle tickets into the mm. sweepstakes. So a little bonus for Max Fund subscribers for people who support the show. I wanted to give them like a little extra special bonus. Um, so yeah, so that link will be in the show notes for people who are listening to, to the show, not live, and I'll drop it in Twitch chat um, shortly for people who are listening nice. live. I love a good raffle. Sweet. So we're here to talk about your book. We're going to talk to you about this book that you've been writing for low these many years. And uh, and I'm excited <laughs> to get into it. So that's kind of our topic, yeah. even though it's you know kind of just the video game industry and video games in mm-hmm. general is also the topic. So let's get to it. Press Reset, Ruin and Recovery in the Video Game Industry is published by Grand Central Publishing. It is 320 pages long and it weighs 9.6 ounces, according to Amazon.com. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Solid. It was written by our co-host Jason Schreier. I've read it. It is a wonderful and interesting book. And when you take it all together, it raises one really interesting, kind of hard to answer question, at least for me. So I'm going to put that question to you, Jason. <laughs> Why hasn't Sony announced Bloodborne 2? That is the question that is constantly discussed in this book. Every single yeah, every chapter, chapter ends, is about that, ends yeah. with the question. It ends with, hey, this industry is really messed up, but it yes. can be fixed if Sony announces <laughs> it. There's an easy way to fix it. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's not my real question. My real question is, okay, real question. On your About the Author page at the end of the book, it lists your time at Kotaku, how you've written for the New York mm-hmm. Times, Edge, and Wired. Mm-hmm. It makes zero mention of Triple Click. What motivated mm. you to betray your co-hosts so thoroughly? 
Oh my God. I can't believe that it doesn't do it. It's because I didn't actually write that bio. Um, mm. What happens is the, mm. the, the publisher writes that stuff and like also the copy in the back of the book and all that other marketing material you see right, is written yeah. by the book publisher. So you're blaming us for not marketing ourselves adequately to your That's publisher. That's true. Really, we should have hired PR people. Exactly. I'm blaming you for not contacting Grand Central <laughs> Publishing and saying, hey, what the hell? Um, but I will be filing a lawsuit in the state of New York against Grand Central Publishing for not mentioning Triple Click. So yeah. I have your back. Thank you. That I seems like a good, a good fight that. to pick with your publisher. Okay, actual question. <laughs> Jason, you wrote this book. This is all about the video game industry. It's really good. Mm-hmm. It's um, mm-hmm. I like it a lot. I think it's a cool evolution from your first book. Uh, what is the biggest misconception that people have about the video game industry? And you can start, but we can all talk about it. <laughs> that Bloodborne 2 is in development. And <laughs> oh, no. The saddest um, misconception of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So, press reset. It's a book. I should say, just kind of broad strokes for anyone. I should zoom out. I gotta do mm-hmm. that live mm-hmm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say broad strokes for people who don't or aren't familiar with it at all. It's a book essentially about volatility in the video game industry and what happens to people when game studios shut down. And so, I went out. I spoke to a whole bunch of people about like their stories of like volatility and getting laid off and studio closures and stuff like that. Covered a bunch of stories um, from Bioshock, Irrational Games to. 38 Studios and the Kurt Schilling disaster. Lots of good stuff in there. Wild stories in there. Um, biggest misconception. I mean, I think that like, it depends who you ask, right? Like if you ask an enthusiast gamer, someone who listens to Triple Click or like reads IGN or Kotaku and stuff, they they might have different answers than like your mom, um, except Maddie's mom who listens to the show. Of Shout course, out to Maddie's yeah. mom. She's very well but like your average, yeah. <laughs> your average person might hear video game industry and think, oh man, that's a lot of fun. Whereas your average reader these days might say, oh, okay, the video game industry. Yeah, sounds like fun. I want to work for Sony Santa Monica so I can be on God of War or whatever. Um, I think that like in general, a lot of people think it's a lot healthier than it is because you see all these stats about like how much money the video game industry makes and how um, how how lucrative it is, how lucrative these games are, how many millions of copies all these games sell. And you kind of are under the impression that like the people who make them should be rich and happy and satisfied because like that would make sense right like you see the <laughs> the new call of duty has sold more copies than god so why aren't all those people <laughs> more copies happy than and god. rich god has right? sold a lot of copies of himself yeah 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 he's just that one book but uh but then you look at how much money bobby Kotick makes and you're like ah so that's where it goes mm-hmm. i see you start with the money thing is that i feel like that's always the way that you have to pitch these sorts of things to a mainstream audience or to a publisher for example is you have to be like okay look for starters money and then you kind of go from there for this book actually i started with that and it's literally the first sentence of the book is how successful the video game yeah. industry is yeah because mm-hmm. that's like it's such setup for like Okay, this is a successful industry. And you know, okay, so I've been doing a lot of interviews and stuff. This, of course, is my favorite one and the one I've been most excited about this this particular interview. But I've been doing a lot of interviews and actually a lot of conversations have wound up steering towards the media industry and how many parallels there are between journalism and, and, um, and games. <laughs> it's almost like journalists would prefer to talk about themselves if given any opportunity to do it's so. It's very true. It's very true. But I think the important difference between like media, which also is super volatile and like, like treats people like shit, the big difference between media and games is that media doesn't actually make money. Games does. And I think there's kind of like this weird, uh, you would assume that the video game industry 
actually because it makes so much money that like it actually treats people well and doesn't have to deal with these issues. But but alas, you would be wrong if you made that assumption. So that's that's actually why I started with that exact note is because like, hey, this is a thriving industry. This is an industry where like people are are doing well, are rolling in it. Some people are rolling in it. People at the very top are rolling in it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's an important context for for what we're discussing here, right? I mean, we run into this every time we talk about the games industry on this show, but it's such a huge mix of systems. It's so many different layers. Like this, the book does a good job. I mean, as good as any like one book can do of trying to look at like an individual person's story. You follow this one guy, he like goes through EA and like works his way up. And then he's kind of working, working, working. And then he's at Visceral and then like Visceral gets shut down and then he loses his job and he winds up going in like he becomes like an architect or something, right? And is like yep. has yep, a normal exactly. like like quote, life quote, where he normal. can sustain yeah. his life right and like that's a cool thing well then there's also like like 38 studios or whatever these huge uh you know big stories kind of from the top down i don't know man like your takeaways are convincing like about unionization <laughs> and about organizing people but it's so it's so easy to throw your hands up i guess and say this stuff is just impossible to even conceive of sometimes because it's so big like any of these things do you feel like you have like doing the process of like making this book has given you a better sense of that of the the totality of it no I mean I actually think I think it's a really optimistic book and it's possible by the way I should know that Kirk you read I think Maddie you read the final version if you finish it I'm not sure if you finish it but I did read the final version yeah and I completed it nice Nice. Kirk you read an early vision of the book so it it might actually be completely different now well I just (laughs) reread the final version or I like skimmed through it but I read Okay, good, 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 good. Well, I actually think, I think it's a bleak book, but I think it's an optimistic book and I think it's a hopeful book. And I mean, like you said, I think I, I, I do make some convincing cases in there about ways that things can be fixed. Cause like, I didn't want to just, I didn't want this to just be a book that is like, here are all the problems, man, this sucks. Like I really wanted this to be a book that, that explores potential solutions. And I found myself surprised at like some of the, the, the roads I took and like the answers that I got from people. And like, in some cases in the book, I, I thought that like certain people would be like all aboard onto this one idea. And then I found that like, actually they're not. And here's why. And so that was really interesting. But like um i think that 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 some of the solutions i explored are certainly viable i mean unionization for example we just saw a stat that is like over half of game developers want to unionize like the gdc survey last week said that um remote work is a big thing that i explore and obviously for the past year that's been viable so like i do think there are ways and hopefully this book goes and opens some eyes and makes some people say hey at my studio i want to do this this and this like i really hope one of my hopes is that this book gets in the hands of some of the decision makers in the industry um i know some of them were fans of of my first book so hopefully they check this one out because i i think that like uh, there is some stuff there's some there's some stuff that's not too expensive and like not too unrealistic that can be done to really help fix things yeah something i noticed about it um w- as a pattern throughout the book was how often you interviewed people who had worked for a studio that had notably shut down but they still described the experience as one of the best places they ever worked like there are multiple people who described that experience like even at 38 studios which 
I mean, of course, they were spending money on some things that didn't really make sense to me personally <laughs> in that particular studio. Uh, there were some some cushy perks there that maybe could have been spent elsewhere. But there were lots of other examples in the book of people who had really, really good studio cultures and the studio shut down. And that was just a depressing through line in a way to be like, well, some of these folks worked with a group of people who they really, really vibed with. And then you had certain stories where people would split off and, and make an indie game after breaking off with that studio and, and some were success stories and some weren't. But there were also several examples in the book of people who just got split up or really talented larger teams that couldn't have feasibly become an indie group after the fact. And all that talent just ended up getting split up for, in my view, no reason. Like I, I do understand <laughs> logically why the industry works the way that it does. The ideation phase for games takes a really long time and you don't need hundreds of staffers just waiting in the wings for you to finish coming up with the idea and spring into action on like combat systems, all the other, you know, animations and design aspects. But there must be a better way to do that. Like there must be a better way to keep really talented teams of people together who are already vibing. And I don't just mean like five people. I mean like 35 people who are mm -hmm. already really jazzed to work together. You know, that was depressing <laughs> to me kind of. There's a whole thing in there about the combat pit, like those guys yes. from um, Big Huge Games, right? Is that right, Jason? Mm -hmm. They're from Big Huge Games. Yeah, and they yeah. were like, yeah. so it was like this team of people who got really good at making Designing combat, and they like worked yes. on the combat for Kingdoms of Amalur. For Kingdoms of Amalur, yeah. And they got really good at it. And it's this, they had this dream that sounds so cool. Like when I was reading that chapter, you're kind of like, oh man, this is kind of a great idea. Like they, the whole thing falls yeah. apart and they get shut down. But they're like, we were really good at this one sort of specialized skill. What if we went and, you know, did it? sort of as a contract organization where we're all, you know, we like sign a contract with people and they just tell us what they need and we give it to them, but we're not beholden to all of their nonsense, basically the stuff you get sucked into when you're on full time. But then it kind of, um, his name is, I have it wrote, written down here, Joe Cadera. Joe is that Cadera, yeah. Cadera mm -hmm. is how you pronounce his name. He was sort of the head of that group. And he gives you this really great quote about like things that you can outsource and things that you can't outsource mm -hmm. and how the closer you get to the player experience, the line goes inverse, like as to like how well it can be outsourced. So once you're really like, like combat, for example, is something that is super fundamental because it's the way that the game feels, the way that you're, you know, like actually interacting with it. And if you're not a part of the team and you're not in the room for those sort of long stop and start trial and error sessions, you're not able mm -hmm. to like make that work as well as you could. So it's kind of just not a feasible thing but it sounds so good i don't know it sounds like such a good idea to <laughs> well me. okay so that that is what i one of the things i was mentioning before where it was like i was exploring these solutions and i thought so i called up joe or i met with joe and i was like hey um i'm like looking into solutions i'd already heard his story i'd been talking to him for a while and i was like what do you think of this idea of like what you guys were talking about back in the day of like going around like would you ever do this today and he was like no and that surprised me and i was so curious and and i'll leave some of the stuff for the book to discuss because he has a lot of interesting perspectives on like don't, wanna, don't like, give away everything and like like <laughs> mm, yeah and spoilers, like um yeah. the, the concept of combat as a as a like combat as a concept and him just losing interest in that but mm. also yeah like you were saying i mean outsourcing is one of those really interesting topics that i dive into the in the book of like the question of of if why is this the video game industry right now is kind of 
treats its workers like they're gig workers. So why not create a model where like everyone is a gig worker and, and make that work instead of acting like everyone has long-term careers at the company that they're going to. And so that is a really interesting conversation topic that like some people are still discussing even to this day. And, and some game companies hire people on like what's called, um, uh, uh, term contracts or project contracts or something like that, where like you're come you come on and instead of a fixed contract, which is what most contracts are, you are coming on until the end of the project and then you leave. And yeah, I mean that's another interesting way of going about it, and that can also have its pros and cons. One big con is that like when you're on contract, you're not getting the same benefits as people who are full time, and sure. so that sort of needs to be coupled with unions that provide benefits like if you look at the hollywood model if you're a writer you're constantly bouncing between gigs but you're part of the wga and so you get your health insurance there and you have your pay standards there and and whatnot so yeah i mean these are just potential potential solutions Mm -hmm. another pattern that i noticed that's related to that is um just the age the average age of people in the games industry i was thinking about that a lot while i was reading the book as well and how young it is and that's a stereotype for a reason because as this book explains you need to be somebody who's willing to put up with the level of volatility that this industry has and that means you're probably somebody who doesn't have kids yet or no big firm plans to you know put down roots somewhere buy a house and the more heartbreaking stories in the book are the people who are achieving that like late 20s, early 30s, late 30s stages of life where they are married or have a partner and want to have a kid or have a kid and then suddenly they lose their job or they've just bought a house and then suddenly they lose their job or they need to sell a house because they're moving across the country every three years. And that is why people quit and become an architect. I mean, you you illustrate that very well there because, I don't know, it just had me thinking about um, the other stereotype of video games as being just immature. And it's like, well, yeah, if most of the people who work on them are 22 years old, then they're going to be have a certain vibe to them. And ideally (laughs) games would have a lot of different people of different ages and different backgrounds and different income levels and so on coming into the space and being able to thrive there. But that's not really what your book describes. It's describing this situation where you basically have to be a really hardy 22 year old and then you're probably going to get burned out by 28. And that, yep. I don't know. Was that something you noticed? Well, also, if you're 22, you're willing to spend nights and weekends at the office because you're yeah. just like, hey, I'm happy to be here. So, Maddie, yeah. so to that point, I think that like the other big difference between games and Hollywood, which is a good model for all this stuff, is that Hollywood is mostly in one place. Like, if you lose your job in Hollywood, you stay in Hollywood. Like, you don't have to go anywhere. And I think that is where remote work plays into the picture. So, a little bit about background here. I started writing this or I finished writing most of this book in like January, February of last year. Um, I took a bunch of time off Kotaku, was writing. Nothing writing, happened writing. after that. And you mm-hmm. just, it was a super chill, normal I was year. writing in a, in a coffee shop. Man, I would be so bummed out now because I did so much good writing in a coffee shop uh, near my apartment on the mm-hmm. Upper Side. Um, and so uh, suddenly the pandemic starts and suddenly this concept that I explored in the book of like remote work has become very, very real and everybody is forced to do remote work. And that to me was fascinating. And I explored some of that in the book and I'm very curious to see what happens next because I think that like, even if you change nothing else about the video game industry right now, if every single game company said, Hey, 
you can work for us no matter where you live. You can work remotely. And suddenly, if if you're working at Irrational Games and like your studio shuts down and you're stuck in Boston where there are no other big companies or there are very few other big companies, you can still get a job. You don't have to move and uproot your life and take your kids out of school just to move across the country and get a new job because you can work anywhere. That would be so industry changing that I think that would prevent a lot of the burnout we see. Even if none of the other bad stuff was changed or fixed or, or improved in any other way, that alone is such a game changer. And so yeah. very curious to see what happens. Have either of you mm-hmm. ever moved for a job? I've never moved for a job. Mm-hmm. No. But I mean, I'm in New York where like a large part of the media industry is. So I guess I'm lucky in that way, like the, that we have a hub. It's here. like the Hollywood of media. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. So true. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I, I agree or I can at least imagine that that man, the, even the idea of moving for a job is so stressful because no job is that secure really. And yeah. I've, you know, I've had a lot of different <laughs> jobs over the years and every time I start a new one, it's enough of a, you know, anxiety inducing thing to just be like, I'm committing to this new thing. Well, you're in media. No media mm-hmm. job is secure. If you were yeah. in like, I don't know, banking or something. Well, I was a teacher before that. I don't know. Like it's, you know, if you're a high school teacher, there's other high schools in town. Yeah. But if you're a teacher, your skills can apply, but you don't have to leave uh, San Francisco where you were or Oregon where you no, are no, now. Yeah, Portland. That, that's what I'm saying. Like I've never yeah. had to do it. And I, and it's enough anxiety just committing to a job, even if it's in town with you, let alone mm-hmm. being like, okay, I'm doing this new job and we're going to move across the country. And yeah, maybe right. you have like young kids or something, you uproot your family, like that, the tax that that would take on you. Um, and then, you know, to lose your job a month later, there's a, the guy who who went to Telltale and then like lost his job immediately. Holy shit. Yeah, I, that guy. Oh. Well, I was going to bring up Andy Johnson, who's a person that I highlighted in the 38 chapter who like mm-hmm. was at THQ, saw that THQ was imploding, was like, I need to go find a new job. Huh, 38. That looks good. He moves there. Within five months, he is let go and struggling and like can't pay his rent and has to rely on his mom to help pay his rent at 40 years old with kids and a wife. And it's just so sad the way that this industry treats people mm-hmm. yeah we've talked before i don't know when but at various points about how there's like not a lot of elder statesmen in video games and how there's this yeah. sort of like loss this like brain drain that happens because so many people mm-hmm. go to oh, yeah. become a proverbial architect because like <laughs> you want to be with one, your family yeah. or a literal <laughs> one right depending yeah. um and i i think the war inspector stuff is interesting because oh, yeah. he is you open with him, and this is War Inspector yep. of, you know, Ion Storm and whatever, Deus, Deus Ex, Ex fame. Mastermind. Epic Mickey, mainly what he's known mainly for. Mainly known yeah. for yeah. Epic Mickey. Um, and how, this like... a fun game. He's, he's a great guy to talk to. I've interviewed him a couple times back when I was at Kotaku. He's just, like, he's got great energy. He's a really smart, creative dude. And I always thought of him as, like, man, War Inspector, like, that guy... He's just got it figured out. He's like the master. He like made all these great classic games and he's still at it. He's making new studios and reading this long story of like the constant struggle that this guy had to deal with just to like get funding to make games. And then eventually it's like, you know, even making Epic Mickey is like, well... I mean, I guess they want a Mickey game, so I'm just going to do that. <laughs> Even though yeah. the way that I always thought of him, at least, you know, 10 years ago or something, was like, well, this guy's a legend. He made Deus Ex. He can do anything. Mm-hmm. But that's totally not the case when you're actually in the room, like, making the pitch and trying to get enough money, especially to make like a game with that many people because you kind of need a lot mm-hmm. of money to do it. Even the legend, oh, yeah. yeah, even the the top most respected game designers in this field, the people who are like famous and and successful and in Warren Spector's case have money, like he was financially successful, but even he could not find like stability in this field. Like that mm-hmm. is ridiculous, right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's absurd. 
Yeah, I mean, part of that is because he described the phenomenon of publishers and, and bean counters, as you love calling them in the book, Jason. Um, <laughs> he does use wanting, that term, wanting that's, Well, there's your triple click shout out. Hey, there you go. Oh, okay, sure. That counts. Yeah, you're right. Jelly bean counters, just constantly obsessed with beans there. It's so weird. <laughs> anyway, um, so publishers are obsessed with beans. And by beans, I mean money, of course. And that means that Warren Spector not only needs to make a game that is critically acclaimed, it also needs to like year over year be making more money like the the sequel to that game needs to make twice as much or however much absurd amount of money is demarcated in on some piece of paper somewhere and then the third game needs to be making triple that and if it's not increasing exponentially then the games are failures and like breaking even is is terrible but also like even making 10 million dollars isn't even close to good enough which is absurd and just stifles creativity to even think about games in that way and to be like okay well if I'm making a sequel, it not only needs to be good and iterate on the concept and tell something further compelling in this world, it also needs to sell twice as many copies. So that means a ton of people who didn't play the first game need to pick this one up. Like that's <laughs> that's such a silly way to think right. about game. But it also makes so much sense when you look at the way that AAA games operate. You're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course that is how the entire industry has mm-hmm. been set up. Well, really that's why I tried to throw in some indie stories about people yes. who can actually so, be creative. And like, that's yeah, why I yeah, say yeah. it's helpful. Yes. Cause like for everything like that, there's also some really cool stories about like really cool games, like enter mm-hmm. the gungeon. Yeah. One of those is the flame in the flood, which you talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, like the, the remote work thing, there are all these signs of change because things just change, like industries change. And it, it always feels a little bit random, whether that's going to help the people that work in that industry or hurt them. <laughs> like, yep. it's just sort of change happens and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's it's not. Like, I think about the music industry and how labels used to just totally run roughshod over people. People made mm-hmm. no money for albums that were making like tens of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And now but at now least- But now there's Spotify, like... so you're fine, right? I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now there's streaming yeah. royalties, so it's all well, good. Now. Yeah, now you can make 0.11 cent. Point zero zero one cent. For yes, 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 yes. That like, well, but your point stands though. Is like the, there's been a monumental change, but like mm-hmm. what has it resulted in? Different monopolies. Well, no, but there are other yeah. changes too. Yeah. Like, and people have a lot more connection with their listeners. It's like way it's easier to be a sort of mid tier musician right now and like make money just selling albums directly and using Bandcamp, which is like great. Like, there's actual stuff. And in video games, it's sort of similar where. There's this change, like Flame of the Flood is a great example where the common wisdom and the thing you were even talking about, Maddie, with Warren Spector and his challenges, it's the whole hit driven AAA thing where you have to make a game and it has to like be huge and sell really huge numbers quickly. And then it's probably just going to fade. And then eventually you make a sequel. Like you look at what Activision does, like turning Uh out these yearly franchises. Mm -hmm. And then you get the Flame and the Flood, which is this fascinating chapter in the book that I guess I'm going to kind of spoil, but they release a game. (laughs) All these spoilers. This has been nonstop spoilers for press. We're just ruining the book. That's really the plan is to get people to not buy it. They can just listen to this. Just kidding. Yes, they they should buy it. Um, It's great. Is it people from Mythic who went to Flame and the Flood? Am I mixing that up with something? No, irrational people. It was irrational people. Okay. Okay. And um, so Rational falls apart after Bioshock Infinite, which is, again, like another kind of needs to be a big hit kind of a story. thing. The game that yeah. did well, actually, sort of right. But like, yeah, that yeah, was that's, that's no, an that's interesting one. Like that's story. Ken Levine personally right. being like, I don't want to do this right. anymore. So that's a little but different. anyway, I won't. Anyways, I won't yeah, get you beside the point um, of the, this specific point. So the Flame of the Flood, they released their game. It like doesn't do that well. It doesn't, it does okay, like, but it, it makes some money for them. And then they keep kind of slowly updating it and releasing it. And then they get this huge bump from the Switch that just happens mm-hmm. to be this thing that like pushes right their place, indie game right up. Time. And then Enter the Gungeon is another good example of a game that like 
just slowly got bigger and better post-release. Um, I've been playing Returnal, which has got me t- thinking about Binding of Isaac, like those kinds of mm-hmm. roguelike style mm-hmm. games that get released and they do okay, and then they build and they build and they build. Hades is another good example where like that was, I guess, pretty big when it was in early access, but then it like really blew up when it came out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 1.0 and it was on Switch. Games as a service. Well, right, and the and it's not like games as a service makes you think of EA and like Destiny and whatever, but it can also mean these little yeah, games. Yeah, these are games as a service too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the yeah. same thing, and it's just a way that that shift really helped people who were totally screwed over by the AAA seed make this mm-hmm. thing work long term by just making mm-hmm. one game and then updating it, which just seems more sustainable in a lot of ways, like that they can keep working oh, yeah. on the same game for so long. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what a lot of indies are doing. They're just like releasing a game and continually updating it and, and and adding into it over time. And I think that like yeah, the the misconception you were talking about earlier is that idea that like you release a game and it makes all of its sales on day one. But in reality, there's like this long tail. Um, yeah, the same thing has happened with with um, at least with my first book. Is that like in the book industry? I mean, I have no <laughs> idea how the wizardry of publication and sales work, uh-huh. but it's like it sold. It, it just had a good tail and like had these spikes at Christmas and stuff like that. And it's interesting to watch as someone who just observes media is it's been interesting to watch the sales of that in relation to like how other things work and, and just seeing like, Oh my God, Christmas time, like it's spiking up the yeah. charts. Just well, it's cause you do that Christmas copies. event in the book every year. Right. Where, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's new people can get for the, the book. Yes. Yeah. You can buy blood, sweat and pixels costumes. The hats. God, do you ever get sick of making jokes about how your book is like a video game? It's like the only no, joke I ever fun. make about your book. No, but you have fun. like a perfect one you can tell next about how the sequel needs to double its sales. Like, why aren't <laughs> exactly. you continuing exactly. to yes and this premise? It's That's there's true. so much That's meat true. on this bone. If this does not, yeah, if if press reset does not make at least ten times, <laughs> the bean the counters are made. after us. <laughs> yeah, oh, we, need, we need to get these beans into pockets. Yeah, that's very true. I think people would be shocked also at how little money the book industry <laughs> makes. <laughs> I don't think they would be. Uh, that's kind of me in general, right? So do you guys want to hear a story? I had a story that I sh- yes. I've been saving just for this podcast. It's Absolutely. A pretty, it's a pretty wild story. Oh, um, okay. Kirk, I think Go I've ahead. told you this privately. Maybe, I don't remember if I've told you, but I don't think I've spoken about this publicly. I've probably forgotten yet. it, so just go yeah, ahead. probably. Your, your memory's shot. Um, <laughs> so when I set out to make Bloodstone, uh, after Bloodstone Pixels, I finished that, didn't know what I was going to do next, had some ideas for a new book, was talking to my editor, who's this great guy, Eric Myers at HarperCollins, and I was like, what should we do next? We talked, uh, for a while, we pursued kind of a false lead, um, Games as a Service, actually, I was going to write a book about that, decided not to for a variety of reasons, didn't work out. Um, towards the end of like 2018, like fall of 2018 is where I finally landed on this idea and was like, okay, I'm doing this, studio shutdowns, that's what I'm going to write my next book about. Around the same time, I get a call from Eric, my editor, he's like, I'm leaving HarperCollins. I'm like, oh <laughs> shit, what does this mean? Because this is a guy who like advocated for Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, bought Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, essentially made it happen at HarperCollins. The way it works in the book industry is you and your agent go out and you pitch to specific editors. And that editor is basically the champion for your book at that company. They push for it in all the meetings. They like get it, sales promotion, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they edit it, obviously. So I was like, uh, okay. And through a series of bizarre events over the next year, I just got saddled between editors to the point where like my next editor also left and then the editor after that also left. It got to the point where I was on my fourth <laughs> editor at HarperCollins and 
eventually it got to the point where they were just like they like it felt like they wanted to just kill the book and so I called up my agent and I was like oh my god what do we do I think this was like like I was in the middle of book leave because I had sent them some chapters and they mm-hmm. were like not into it um, someone said it was too dark it was it was it was brutal stuff it was like people didn't really know games and just got saddled with my book so it was impossible for me to blame them or anything like they just got saddled with this thing that they knew it's, mm-hmm. it's this is almost like a video game story it's like Warren Spector getting mm-hmm. saddled with like Disney executives who mm-hmm. who have no idea right, what to right, do with right. console games um and so my edit my agent uh charlie olson who is a superhero um within a week got me a meeting with uh hachette and grand central publishing and wes miller who's my current editor and we signed it up and like s- like smoothly transitioned into a new publisher and it was <laughs> incredible like my agent worked magic making that happen um and yeah and then just wound up now i'm publishing the book with them and it's been great um but yeah the parallels between that whole saga and the video game industry are also really fascinating to me because it's so similar to some of the things that you face but also just the fact that like your editor can just quit and you just be totally screwed is so (laughs) weird and interesting and and makes you think a lot about luck and how much that plays into everything we do (laughs) yeah which is another way of saying that like nothing is certain right i mean like anytime you're relying on luck for success which i think about all the time um just like how how everyone is so unstable all the time like I feel like, you know, there's this huge wealth gap in America and there's people mm-hmm. with tons of money and people with no money. I feel like even the people with tons of money still feel like they could lose it all at any minute, right? Like, it's, mm-hmm. I feel like just like everyone has that baked into them. Unless you're like a billionaire and maybe even then you're like, yeah, but I don't no. know, man, like I could lose it all and like tomorrow have no money. And it's the reason that people sort of hoard wealth and hold on to it. I think that's why people hoard wealth. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's yeah. one of the reasons that billionaires, I really, I think you're right about like, I think a lot of billionaires do think that way. And like, especially the ones who grew up poor, um, yeah. just have that mentality. It's almost like if we had a better social safety net in this country. Yeah. <laughs> man, I think thing. about God, yeah, I think about that all the time. I was just yeah. telling someone else about this, um, is that my career started essentially um, because, oh, I told you guys about this on our on our Beans Talk about our histories. I told you guys about that job I had at Patch that was paying me like $500 a week to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And that essentially allowed me to be a freelancer, like having this, this job mm-hmm. I lucked into. If I hadn't had that, I probably would have had to like, I don't know, go work at a coffee shop or something. And maybe I would have gotten sick of it and like change careers. Mm-hmm. and Or been more tired from a job like that. I mean, that's a grueling job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah, not been able to write as much like freelancing. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that I lucked into this like plum gig is the reason that I'm able to have a career today. And there's so, so many of the the factors that go into anyone successful who like doesn't say I'm so lucky is lying to you. And I feel like mm-hmm. luck plays such a big part in all of this. So this is yeah. your next book is going to be about universal basic income. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I would love to. I would love to write that. Now, smarter nice. people than I can cover that subject. Nice. Well, I guess we can we can wrap up. When's your book out? Let's let's do the do the uh, do the pitch for the people. Yeah, Press Your Set Runner Cover in the Video Game Industry comes out this Tuesday, May eleventh. Very excited about it. Um, I think it's. Personally, I think, I mean, I know a lot of people like Bloodstone and Pixels, but I think this is way better. Um, but I guess it's inevitable that like, like I took so many, there's so many things I learned and tried to do better, tried to do better from the first book. Um, like, for example, this is all one big story that I think both of you appreciated as opposed yeah. to like 10 segmented stories that were all independent. I did think that was really cool. So it's, it's the Assassin's Creed to, to the Assassin's <laughs> yeah, Creed. Exactly. Your first exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you, you wove together the stories more across the entire book mm-hmm. in a way that I thought was surprising and enjoyable. I expected discrete chapters and instead I got more of a journey. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. that's that was very deliberate. And I mean, it was deliberate for the first one that I did discrete chapters. I wanted them to be like I wanted Bloodstone Pixels to be a book where you could pick it up and just skip around to whatever chapters you wanted to read about. Because I assume most people would not want to read about all the games. Um, I also wanted to be very much like human stories. And everybody said everybody told me that their favorite chapter in Bloodstone and Pixels was Stardew Valley about yeah, Eric Barone's journey. The best chapter. And so I was like, I want this book to be entirely human stories like that, which I think I did. And the other important thing that was really important to me was Blood, Sweat, and Pixels for a variety of reasons. Um, some of them in my control, most of them in my control, but some of them out of my control. Um, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels did not have a lot of women's voices in it. And I was like, man, this sucks. At the end of, like, after I finished it, I was like, God, this sucks. Like, I, I and I addressed it in the prologue, but I was like, for the next book, I want to get some women, spotlight some women in it. And I also did you that did. with this book. I noticed yep. it. Which is nice. It was cool. So, yeah, just a lot of things. It's, it's funny. You learn, as with any creative endeavor, you learn a lot the first time around and you're like, man, mm-hmm. gotta take these lessons, apply them to the next thing. And I think I did that. I'm really proud of Press Your Set and I think people will will dig it. I think people will find it bleak and hard to get through, but also optimistic and <laughs> really addicting and not hard to get through. I think it's very it's very much a page turner like the first book was. Am mm, I allowed to say that thrilling. about my own book? Are you allowed to call your I own book? I think so. What the hell, man? You wrote I, it. I agree with you. I, I turned its pages. I read it in yeah, the last yeah. couple days. It's, a, it's uh, a very smooth read. Agree. Yeah. I have a question for you guys because I don't know the answer to this. I, I really don't. Have either of you um, ever wanted to write a book or ever given it any thought? Yes. Yeah, sure. I've thought about it. I don't know, though. And? I'll let you know my pitch after off air. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of ideas. Oh, off air. Well, have you have either of you like ever seriously pursued it or considered no. seriously pursuing? It? No, no, no. no, okay. no. I haven't, okay. but I have, I have always wanted to write a book. I like you, Jason, I've also wanted to write fiction before in my life. Mm. Um, mm. just cause I think it would be fun. And when I was a kid, that was actually the job I wanted was to be yeah. a novelist. Um, yeah. and I used to write little short stories all the time. And then eventually I got into journalism, which is like nonfiction writing, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and these days when I fantasize about writing a book, I usually picture nonfiction books, Cool, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. I I was very similar, Manny, and wrote short stories. It'd be fun to write fiction. I think if I wrote nonfiction, it would be something about music. And writing about music is hard, man. Like, mm. if you can't be making a podcast where you're, like, playing the music at the same time, it's hard to... I, I admire <laughs> music critics who are good when I... Strong Songs, the book. Strong Songs, the audio collection. It wouldn't yeah. work. CD, you know, Strong like, songs. I'd be like, reference CD, like, number three, <laughs> this track at this timestamp. So like, funny. it just doesn't, doesn't, isn't the same. So, I don't know, maybe. It'd be mm-hmm. fun to have a big project like that, but albums are sort of similar, so maybe that's yeah, they albums are. are and I have made an album before, yes. so in a yes. way, I've similar written a book. Way. If you think, yeah. yeah, that's both of you. Both of you. Uh, it's the musician's book. <laughs> your big creative endeavors. That's, that's what albums are. They're the musician's book. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody should go buy Press Reset, and uh, yeah, let's take a break, and then we'll be back with one more thing. Hi everyone, it's your friendly co-host Kirk from the future here. Given that it is Max Fun Drive, we're actually not doing our usual network promos in this spot. And since we already talked a lot about Max Fun Drive at the start of the episode, I'm not really going to reiterate that here. The drive has only been going on for a few days. We've already got people signing up to become Max Fun members and boosting their membership. That's super rules. I also wanted to just let you all know that in honor of Max Fun Drive, we're going to be dropping some bonus stuff in the main feed this week uh, for everybody, not just for members. Uh, in addition to normal episodes, you're going to get a little bit of extra stuff. So keep an eye or an ear out for that. All right, that's enough from me. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join if you want to sign up and help us make this show. But for now, let's just get back to the episode. Take it away, past triple-click hosts. Bing! And we're back for one more thing, the segment of the show where we talk 
about one more thing each. Maddie, what's your one more thing? Do you, do you really think that needs explanation, Kirk? I just like saying thing. it. It's just fun to, to do a radio announcer <laughs> thing. Every week we need to explain to people yeah. what we're about to hey, do. Hey, every okay. week there okay. could be a new listener. Who's listening yeah, for the no, very first true. time? Well, and they're also, like, also, we need to go over the rules every week because sometimes true. certain co-hosts try to sneak in more than one thing. So we that just is need also to true. Set the boundary. It couldn't be me. It could not be me. Definitely not something I've ever done either. And it's not uh-huh. like one more thing has a self-explanatory name or anything. No, <laughs> no, that's no, a thing. It doesn't. It's totally it's very okay. confusing. It's so gimmicky. Um, okay, Maddie, what is your one more thing? Okay, it is a movie. Um, Dina and I watched The Mitchells versus the Machines this past weekend, which is an animated film that is on netflix yes it is incredible i highly recommend it <laughs> this is a children's movie it's written by um two people who worked on gravity falls i don't know their names offhand sorry uh but if you like gravity falls you probably like the mitchells versus the machines because it's a similar science fiction kids in an absurd situation vibe um so it's about the mitchell family katie is the main character she is applying for college or about to go to college and she is an artiste and her parents, her dad doesn't understand her. And then also the backdrop for that is that there is a robot apocalypse (laughs) happening in the world thanks to uh, the actions of a sort of Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk-esque figure who creates like a Siri AI who turns on him and decides that robots must rise and destroy all humans and so katie and her family have to get along with each other and use katie's tech skills slash artistic talents to save the world and i loved it and part of what i really loved about it is because i feel like i've seen a lot of movies that um lampoon the tech industry and you know video games and and so on and and that culture and like young people being into tech and looking at their screens all day but don't necessarily acknowledge the value of those pursuits. And this movie's really determined to acknowledge that value and be like, no, Katie makes digital art with her screen, and that's really cool. And that's actually something special. And then and she sells about it her. as NFTs for millions <laughs> no. of people. <laughs> no. no, there's no NFTs in this. Yeah, there's the one scene where he's like, get off your phone and socialize or something. And she's like, I, but I am socializing right yeah. now. Like, there's, there's mm. some nice acknowledgments of that. Kind yeah. Of thing. And th- but then there is also like the acknowledgement of like the, artistic pursuits that her father does like he like builds a house and like is into wood carving and like Mm -hmm. hunting in the woods and like all these other like survival skills that help them too so it's like it it's a movie that respects both the part of me that wants to move into the woods and abandon all society and also the part of me that Mm. loves technology and art and making stuff and connecting with people online and I don't know I was just pleasantly surprised that the movie spoke to both parts of my Id in a very pleasant way. But you watched it too, Kirk. What did you think about it? Yeah, I was a little... It's interesting. I actually really like that perspective on it. I was a little, like, medium on this actual just mechanics of it. Like, I feel like I could see the gears turning a lot with just, like... It is very much a kid's movie, Now we're yeah. going to foreshadow a thing that she learned from her dad that she'll do later. Like, you can see yep. where a lot of it is going. So, you know, that that part um, was, was what it was. But I like that a lot, that it's sort of... It's paying respect to both parts of us, like how her dad really doesn't like technology and wants to disconnect and you get where he's coming from. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she, of course, lives this whole life online and is so excited. 
I like that Abby Jacobson stars in it. This is Abby from yes. Broad City. She plays the lead, which is just cool because she should be in more things. And I like the visual design of it. It's uh, Lord mm. Miller produced this. They didn't like write and direct it, but the guys who made the Lego movie and um, Spider-Verse, and it has that kind of Lego movie energy. It's a lot of like yeah. meme jokes and internet stuff and Snapchat filters, and it's kind mm-hmm. of got that really caffeinated vibe but i liked how the robots looked i liked the way that there's this like huge design shift that happens in the robot world where it almost becomes like a digital like tron universe even though it's real like and it just becomes all clean colors and like neons and then the real world is this messy almost photorealistic weird place and they really juxtapose those really well too so it's like a visually awesome looking movie yeah i I liked it i thought it it was a lot of fun yeah yeah Definitely. The visuals are weird. Like anytime they juxtapose like the too realistic world with the cartoon yeah. world, it's like supposed to take you out of it and make yeah. you feel disoriented. It's a little it. freaky. It's very yeah. effective. Yeah. 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 It's cool. I and it's it. like on Netflix. People can just watch yeah, it. You just watch it. Netflix. So yeah. Not bad. Nice. Uh, Jason, what's your one more thing? No video games this week. What's your one no more thing? No video games this week. Well, because all of the, vi- the video game we've all been playing yep. is Returnal, which we'll yeah, talk about Yeah, but we'll talk week. about it next week. Yep. But yeah, we are we're going to do a triple game. play. We're yeah. going to do a Return mm-hmm. of Triple Play next week. Um, yeah, I've been watching Killing Eve, which is a fascinating show that I like quite a bit. I know yeah. I'm late to the party on this one. but um, Yeah, we've already seen it. But yeah. tell us I know about both, it. I know both of you have. But um, for listeners, well, so yeah, so my wife has been um, just uh, on a on a crazy work kick recently and she finally had some time to start a new show so we were like looking through our list of shows we wanted to watch together and we were like let's start killing eve and so over the weekend um my parents actually took our toddler so we were able to watch a bunch Mm. over the weekend um and i think i'm one episode uh, away from the finale of season one um so about to finish season one so don't no spoilers Oh, so you've seen my favorite scene in the dance club i won't say what it is yeah the Oh yeah. yeah, that was that's my that favorite scene nuts. of like any TV show ever. Um, wild, so this show is scene. crazy and good. It's awesome. I really really like it. Um, it's essentially the the premise is that uh, there's this assassin, this lady assassin played Villanelle. by. Do you guys know that the actress's name? Villanelle's no. actress. She's, she's fantastic. Great. She's mm-hmm. phenomenal. I've never heard of her before. Never seen her in anything before. But she's blowing me away in this. And um, Sandra O, oh, who is uh, people probably know, is plays this woman named E. Plansky, and her job is to uh she puts together this team essentially to go trace Villanelle and find where she is and I don't want to spoil because you kind of have to just watch it and see what happens because all sorts of crazy stuff happens and Villanelle is just um captivating and impossible to look away from and the actress who plays her is just tremendous and Sandra Oh is also tremendous Jodie Comer is her name yes yes Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh is also tremendous as Eve and the two of them just have fireworks together when they are together Sandra O's hair it's like its own whole character yeah, yeah. well she comments on her Villanelle con- comments on her hair yeah no wonder Villanelle's obsessed with it yeah yes yes yeah. Um, and it's really good really good it's like um, I actually thought it was going to be funnier than it was I thought it was going to be more of a comedy but it's still really good it's a little bit bleaker but there is some good comedy to it mm-hmm. and um, a lot of globe trotting it was made by the BBC oh, yeah. and you could tell that uh, that they had fun traveling across Europe to shoot a variety of things from like the British countryside to Paris to mm-hmm. uh, to Russia, it's really really good. Um, it almost reminds me of uh, the Americans in some way, which I also just watched. But there's some some parallels there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I could see that in that you're sympathizing with characters, but being like, do I sympathize with <laughs> yeah. Leno? Why? Right. Well, also yeah, like like spies and Russian yes. spies and handlers and, yeah. and stuff like that. A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of secret identity stuff. And the other thing that I thought was fun was my wife turned to me and I think she had read this online, but she was like, I just read that like you can tell this is a show made by women because the assassins don't wear heels and have their hair up in ponytails. And if it was made by men, then the assassins would be in high heels. The female assassins would be in high heels and have their hair down. Um, interesting. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, yeah it's really, true. really good show. Really yeah. enjoying yeah. it. Killing nice. Me. Amazing outfits on that show too. That's the other really way good costumes by women for women. You were texting me, Jason, that like there, there's the one episode that's basically just a hitman level. <laughs> like, oh yeah, she, yeah, yeah. I she goes to, to this yes. party and she puts on a costume and pretends to be in the wait staff and like yeah. winds up using yeah. this really elaborate way of assassinating yes. the guy who's yes. like the host of yes. the party. It's like so hitman. I remember watching that, that just being rules. like, it is extremely hitman to the point where someone says, "Hey, you're not supposed to be in here while she's right. wearing that outfit." Yeah, right. Does she walk? Yeah. She goes walking by someone. And they're like, "Hey, wait staff, what's up?" <laughs> in yeah. that hitman way. That amazing, <laughs> amazing. It makes nice. me want. Yeah, I want to female hitman game starring villain Al. <laughs> oh man killing wild. eve game that would be good yeah. i'd play it all right i'll do yeah. my one more thing it is a tv show it's an apple tv plus show the one streaming network that everybody needed the world really needed one more even though mm. it did give us ted lasso so i guess yeah the world- and, and, mythic, and quest. mythic quest which and is awesome quest. it's I'm kind excited. of justified its existence no i know damn it we needed oh. <laughs> We didn't need this, Apple. Why did you have to go and fund good content? And now you're going to tell me about another show I've never even heard of that's apparently on there. So it's, yes. Okay, go so ahead. the show I'm going to tell you both about is called For All Mankind. And I actually first heard about this from Chris Plant, who was talking about it on The Besties, um, our buddies over on that video game podcast. And he was saying, oh, well, this show is really cool and it gets a lot better in season two. Season two has been really great. Um, and he kind of described the premise. And I was like, well, we needed something to watch. Let's watch it. And it is a good show. Uh, I've mm. I've, th- I've seen a lot of people talking about season two because the season two finale was out of control. Like it was an amazing episode of TV, just in a kind of old school way, actually. Um, it was really good. So I'll just describe it really quickly. So the show is uh, run by Ron Moore of Battlestar Galactica and before that uh, Star Trek fame. And it it's very much feels like a Ron Moore show in a lot of ways, generally uh, very good. Some kind of soapy. It can be a little bit soapy. But uh, So the premise is this. It starts in 1969 and Russia beats Earth to the moon. So that's the kind of instigating event of this show. And then the whole rest of the show is an alternate history timeline where the space race never ended. That's the premise. Mm. So because Russia got there first, NASA is like, shit, you know, like, well, we have so much better technology, but they got there first for we don't even know how, but they beat us, we're humiliated, like, we need to get to the moon now, too. And then it keeps going. And like, soon there's, you know, various other things pretty early on. Russia uh, Russia sends a woman up to the moon. So then America's like, oh, we need to let women into the space program. And like, Mm. things just start changing. And then the show is really ambitious like the scope of it and the way that it reveals that is pretty cool as you watch but i think that it is actually nice to know going in that it's not just like about that year like it's about a huge sweep of time and it's actually going to be this like saga that plays out and they even hint at this in the opening credits i I don't really know where it's going because it's been two seasons but i think it's going to like play out over like they're going to go to the cosmos and beyond and soon it's going to be like hard sci-fi with the same characters um, well, no. And like, I think that they're going to hand off to new characters. They're not going to do a Mars trilogy thing where people, maybe they'll have like a youth serum so people can stick around. No, but I mean, so far, so far, what have you seen, what you've seen before? Is it like characters or like, what's the, 
the actual premise of the show. Oh yeah, there, oh sorry, yes. There's there's yeah, there's a whole cast and they're like a character who's a child at one point, you know, kind of grows up like at the very beginning of the show, mm. there's a girl coming over with her family and she and her father are like sneaking across the border from Mexico and she's very young and it's like you know from the beginning they're showing you this really young girl and you're like, "Well, this is going to be important but she's like 12 years old so at some point she's going to be older and is going to become you know an engineer or something and maybe go work for nasa and so they they're kind of they kind of show where they're going with it really early on and then at some point she's going to be older and she's going to pop back in the show and say bing i'm here from the future (laughs) yeah (laughs) right right yes exactly um so yeah and then there's main character like joel kinnaman the guy from like altered carbon and the killing is one of the lead characters who he's a cool actor his character is kind of a butthead so he can be sort of frustrating but the cast sort of expands and there's definitely like a, a bunch of astronauts and astronauts spouses and the families and you know the, the people around him, the engineers the people in mission control and then it's a sort of political drama as well all this stuff is happening in the background and it's very fun it's fun to watch how this one thing serves as the kind of butterfly effect change that then leads to these downstream effects that aren't mm. all really obvious or you wouldn't see them all coming and a lot of things are still basically the same but the more time passes the more things are different because of this one thing that was different and it's super fun to watch that happen i think that it's based on a book series and it seems like it would work really well as books so once you get to season two like a bunch of stuff has changed and things really get cooking and like i said kind of soapy got some soapy energy like there are some subplots where you're just like Okay, like they're short, but you're just sort of like, I don't care about this person having an affair with this other person. Like, I get that it's character development, but get back in space. Like, come on, do some crazy shit where you like are in zero gravity. Make some Um, people almost die because they're doing absurd space. Exactly. I want some peril. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I want some peril. Um, But it it has a lot of that good, like kind of the Martian, you know, let's solve this crazy problem in orbit with no gravity. And we only have these tools to work with stuff. And uh, it's just a well-made show that I, I really enjoyed. And the season two finale is a smoker it's like really amazing it's an amazing episode of tv so it's like certainly worth watching for that and because of it's a smoker the promise of, of what it is where it's going and yes it, it smokes the smoke coming off of my tv I like it is it more of it's your hot. jazz lingo it's a smoker yeah i yeah. guess that kind of is smoking yeah you can play like a smoking jazz solo it's nasty well that's it <laughs> We did it. We did a live episode. It didn't go too badly, I don't think. Hopefully the stream didn't break. Yeah, nobody, people listening to this at home are like, what? That was live? What? (laughs) (laughs) They could probably tell. You gotta throw in some crowd noises, man. All right, I'll I'll like, I'll work some, some huge arena (laughs) cheers in there for the, no doubt, thousands and thousands of people that are watching. Every time I say the title of my book, you just add some some crowd screaming. (laughs) That's what I'll do. Um, nice. Well, uh, yeah, let's, uh, we'll sign off. We'll go chat with everybody live who came to watch, but, um, cool. that's it for this week's episode. So yeah, everybody don't forget Max Fun Drive. Don't forget yeah. to go and subscribe. Or, yeah, please um, do. Boost your membership, become a Max Fun member, boost your membership. You'll get a yeah. pin, you'll get other sweet stuff and we you'll sure know will. in your heart that you were supporting Triple Play. You were. All right. I'll see the two of you next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye.
See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.